Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey everyone, welcome to Sparking Wholeness. This is Aaron Carey. Today I'm speaking with Bill O'Haran. He is a licensed clinical social worker, also a corporate executive. He's a practicing therapist on the weekends and during the evenings, and he's a writer who seeks to use his 33 years of financial sales management experience, 24 years of marriage, 15 years of counseling clients, and 8,500 hours of sitting quietly to help his clients better understand themselves and deepen their relationships. I'm so excited about this interview. I Let me um, go a little bit into the three key concepts he uses to accelerate clients' work are stand in the fire, second law of thermodynamics at home, and relatus. These three concepts provide direct access to understanding self. I mean, I could go on and on about <laughs> We're basically everything that I could read to introduce Bill to you, we are going to talk about. So well, let me just welcome you to the show, Bill. Thank you, Aaron. Really appreciate it. I, I, you know, as my wife says, I'm incapable of small talk and this is, I love, I could do this all day. So really appreciative, seriously. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. You know, we talk a lot. We've talked about relationships on the show. We've talked about marriage, but I think what I'm really excited about talking to you about is kind of just like the the nerdy brain stuff about how our brains work and why we respond the way we do or why we react the way we do, <laughs> why we um, maybe get in our own way, I think is something that that is very problematic. And there's so many people that are having issues in their relationships right now. Is yeah. that something that you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and um you know, it's interesting, the pandemic has created this monastic life for all of us. And for I feel like my take so far for the year where you're in is that those relationships that were ready to make moves and ready to kind of work on stuff, this has been a great experience for those that had been kind of avoiding it and weren't really sure and had kind of left that gap of communication, whatever you want to call it, however you want to define it. The this monastic pandemic pandemic lockdown has been really, really tough because all it's forcing us to do is look further into ourselves, right? Like we can't go outside, we can't, or, you know, we can go outside in a limited way. And so now we're kind of stuck inside with ourselves. And that's part of the theorem one is stand in the fire. You know, all a relationship does, in my opinion, is kick up more of Bill. That's all it does. My wife, Linda, 24 years, we just had a conversation 15 minutes ago. She was really upset with something that I had said. And what that did is it forced literally 20 minutes ago, forced me to go, gosh, where was I? What was I doing in that moment? What feelings were coming up? Was I feeling like my eight-year-old? Was I feeling like my 10-year-old? Why was I dismissively kind of behaving towards her? It was all me. It had nothing to do with her. And so absolutely. Uh, and the brain stuff is powerful. I know we're going to talk about it, but the, but the basic theorem, what happened to me was 24, 26 years ago, I meditated for the first time. And I realized that this heart that has 40,000 brain neurons in our heart, all this information started coming up to my left brain, my rational adult 32 year old self who was working in the financial field and making money. Those two worlds collided. And that's when I realized, oh my gosh, there is this incredible divide inside Bill, inside every human being, our left brain, rational self, and this right brain, limbic, emotion-based, eternal, if you will, connected to everything, connected to the, to the um, uh, mammalian brain that's, what, 100 million years old? I mean, we have reptilianness in us. And so this divide is really where I started doing the work. That is fascinating. I'm, I'm really excited to learn more about that because, you know, something that's my husband and I, we actually teach a pre-marriage class together. Wow. And yes. one of the things that I joke about is that when we got married, his brain was not fully developed. <laughs> we were, I was 28, he was 27. <laughs> and I, you know, I joke that I knew what I was doing because female brains develop sooner, right? Absolutely. But for men, it takes longer. So can you get into a little bit about <laughs> brain development? Because I think that does play a role in our marriages and some people get married in their early 20s, well, a lot changes from the 20s to the 30s. And sometimes that causes these conflicts, right? 
Oh my gosh, you nailed it. It's funny. You were just talking uh, about you and your husband getting married in your late twenties. I got goosebumps because, and, and for all the men out there, you just got to just hold your breath for a second. Developmentally women, you know, for lack of a better word are connected to mother earth, right? The, the earth moves through. And so there's a natural higher emotional intelligence EQ, by the way, EQ, very used word, sometimes overused EQ means the intersection between left brain and right brain, the physical act of being emotionally intelligent is understanding your left brain and your right brain. And in, in the middle of that space is called intuition. That's when you have a feel for things and you understand it's not the words your wife's saying, it's the feelings that are coming up in her when she's saying it. So I, what I discovered in, and what we discovered in this years of research was that there's something happens to our brain at 28, 29, they call it the Saturn turn. But when you turn 29, 29 and a half, 30, what happens is the brain start, the neurons in our brain start millenniating, which means the left side and the right side start to merge. And I can't tell you how many 29 year olds, 30 year olds, 31 year olds, 32 year olds are like, gosh, I've been working for nine years or six years and I'm not feeling it the way I was feeling it four, five, six years ago. And that's the same thing in marriage is that when I married it, I was a little bit older. I got married at 32, but developmentally, I was really a 14 year old. Whereas my wife at 35, much more emotionally intelligent, she kind of understood it. And she was looking at me at times going, you're a smart guy in the business world. Why are you behaving like a 10-year-old? And then, so yeah, it, it's really, really powerful that, and, this, and the research on marriages that, that people that get married between, uh, at the age of 25 and a half and younger, the chance of them staying married is like 35%. It's low. Those that get married after 30, 32, ironically, after the brain's already started to lineate, which means there's a richer, deeper perspective and a, and a different lens of perspective in our 30s, the propensity or proclivity of that marriage not working, it, you have a better chance of it working. And that to me is the science proving at 28, your husband and myself were really just not as mature. The masculine just isn't mature. The masculine is much more driven. The yang is much more driven by left brain solving problems. Here's a great point. In the early years of our marriage, my wife would say something and she'd be like, Bill, don't, I don't want you to solve this. Just hear it. And the challenge with men is we want to solve the problem and move on. But marriage isn't solving the problem and move on. Marriage is understanding and communicating and feeling into each other's experiences. And men, our maturity level has to grow and we have to learn how to do that. I love this breakdown of the brain stuff. This is so fascinating to me. And I really want to get further in and ask you, I have a thousand more questions that we will get to, but I want to take a second and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Ancient Nutrition. Now, if you have listened to this podcast for a while, if you follow me on Instagram or on my website or anything like that, you know that I love to talk about collagen and the importance of collagen because it has been so beneficial for me. Like we know that collagen is important for our skin health, our hair, joint health, all of that, but it's also super helpful for gut health and metabolic health. And what's important to mention as well is that our collagen production will slow down as we age. So as we age, we actually need to be consuming collagen. Now, ancient nutrition is my favorite form of collagen because it is high, high quality collagen. And the multi-collagen protein powder includes five types of collagen. It is the first and only collagen on the market with clinically studied ingredients proven to help reduce joint discomfort as early as day one, improve fine lines and wrinkles after four weeks, hello, that's awesome, and transform your overall skin tone after eight weeks. I love it. And I really love the goal of Ancient Nutrition is to transform the health of every individual on the planet with history's most powerful superfoods. So whether you want to improve your body, sharpen your mind, or just feel like your best self, Ancient Nutrition makes supplements that get real results you can see and feel. I've also been trying out the Beauty and Sleep Collagen Capsules, total difference in my sleep and how I feel and how I rest. I love it. And like I mentioned before, all ancient nutrition products are made from the highest quality ingredients and they are rigorously and repeatedly tested for purity, which is so, so important. There's also bone broth protein. I get sick of drinking regular bone broth, especially when it's in the warm summer months. I don't want to be drinking anything warm. So the bone broth protein is really awesome. It comes flavored. You can mix it up with 
almond milk or coconut milk, whatever it is that you like to mix your protein drinks up with. It tastes delicious. It blends, it even blends into coffee. So my favorite is the multi-collagen protein complex that is unflavored with coffee, but you could even use some of the bone broth proteins with coffee too. Give your, make yourself a little latte or something like that. So proven formulas for real impact. That is what ancient nutrition is all about. Right now, Ancient Nutrition is offering 20% off your first order when you go to ancientnutrition.com right now and enter promo code SPARKING at checkout. That's ancientnutrition.com, enter promo code SPARKING for 20% off your first order. Ancientnutrition.com, enter promo code SPARKING at checkout. All right, now back to marriage and the male and female brain. So Bill, you mentioned that the male brain is more driven by the left brain, the left side. Is there a way, you know, you're talking about merging the both sides. How can men get more in touch with both sides and not just stay in that solving mode that you're speaking of? So the millenniation thing is really powerful because it is bringing the left and right brain together. It's happening unconsciously in us. And if we battle it, we don't kind of we don't kind of get there, but if we lean into it into our early 30s and really, you know, through therapy, meditation, whatever you need to do to kind of just listen to our heart, listen to that 10-year-old. I say, your marriage and my marriage started when we were in fourth grade. Your marriage to your husband started in fourth grade. Why? Because development, all that you soaked in the first 10 years of your life is living in your limbic brain. It's actually all those memories you absorbed, all those sensations of your parents. You absorb and suddenly the friction of a relationship, that's a second law of thermodynamics, that kind of second thesis you mentioned that I kind of adhere to. The friction of a marriage kicks up all this old stuff in us, Aaron, but we don't know it's in there. And so why did my relationship with my wife and my marriage started when I was fourth, in fourth grade? Because when I was 32, all these fourth grade sensations that were living inside of me, longing, sadness, joy, whatever it is that I absorbed from my parents comes up when I'm 33 and I'm like, Where'd this come from? And that's just built stuff. So I'll pause there, but it, it, the, the left brain, right brain is super, super powerful. And, and um, you know, I work with clients. I've got a client uh, this afternoon, another client tomorrow, contact me, go, Bill, can you help me with this inner work? And all the inner work is, is Aaron and Bill and our wives and our husband, just feeling and understanding these deep seated emotions, the deep set embedded emotions are the reason why we act and react. And let's, you know, here's the biggest aha moment that happened 15 years ago when somebody said to me, Bill, what's the only thing in the world that you can control? And I'm like, can't control my kids. And they said, how you feel. And how you feel controls how you react. So I'm like, okay, stop the music, stop everything else. It's not my parents, it's not my boss, it's not my wife, it's Bill. And so that's when my experience of my relationship really started to grow. And that was the catalyst for writing this book, which took nine and a half years, because I'm like, I've got to figure this stuff out. So it's all about self. It's about me, Bill, standing in the fire of my own emotions. When my wife 20 minutes ago came in and said, you were a complete asshole just then, or last, yesterday or last night. I'm like, whoa, I was. So it's just understanding where I was in that moment. Yeah. And not blaming her for getting mad at me. That's where men fail. Right. They blame their wife because the wife represents the feminine energy, the mothering energy, the matri matriarchal energy, where we used to kick and scream in fourth grade when she took our sneakers away or she didn't make the right food or something. We get mad at our mommy. And you know, 25 years later, our wives say something dismissive to us and that represents mommy. And then we kick and scream and act like a 10 year old. That is interesting. I, I totally, yeah, I, I see that. I, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's a maturity yeah. level, men, growth, enlightenment, whatever word you want to use is maturity. It means can Bill, can I own my life? Can I own everything that my neighbor throws at me? Can I own everything that my parents throw at me? My sister's mad at me right now for a certain familial thing, family thing going on. And I understand it, but I, but can I just own that? I had to be true in my expression and now she's got to own her feeling and we'll, we're going to communicate that. But maturity equals me owning everything that I put out, everything that I feel and watching how I behave in that and not blaming. When you own something, I'm not going to blame you. If you and I are in a relationship right now and you say something that hurts my feelings, it's not you. 
has nothing to do with you. It's Bill owning that react, reactionary response because it, it touched something inside of me. Yeah, and, and but part of that is we have to learn how to self-regulate our emotions, right? Because we can't, I think many people, especially when you get married, you're depending on the other person to regulate yes. your emotions. Oh. And you nailed it. That's not good. You nailed it. Yeah. What what we we go into marriage for the right reasons. Like our mammalian instincts, and I write this in the book, our mammalian instincts are based on connecting to other mammals, other humans. And so then we lean into this beautiful male or female that we that we marry. And suddenly that thing that we're relying on is now challenging us, challenging us. And when you challenge a little boy or challenge a little girl, how do they react? Not so maturely because they haven't developed that maturity muscle. But when you realize that, that you have to learn how to grow together and, and really kick up at each other's stuff and be willing to stand in that stuff, in order for me to grow. That, that to me is the formula for marriage is my wife's going to kick up something in me, guarantee it. What am I going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? Am I going to blame her? Am I going to blame my boss for not paying me? Whatever it is, that's all, that's little boy stuff, right? And it's, it's hard, you know, it's, it's relationships are difficult. I say marriage is the most difficult thing you ever do, ever do, period, end of story. And then I couple that with this Harvard study, the grant study that came out, the results came out in 2016. It's a study that was started in 1942. And it was an 80-year longitudinal study that's still going on. And they said in one sentence, and it's on my website, the most important thing in a human being's life is relationships. And I'm like, whoa, what? Your, how you, how you, um, your economics, your health, longevity, um, your ability to kind of, all these things come to how we regulate ourselves with another person, with another body of people. You nailed it. It's the most important thing to do is catch ourselves, understand it, and then react in a way that's mature, in a way that we're owning what we feel, and then we're putting it out in a way that other people can, can, can absorb it and understand it. Yeah. And I believe if, if you're talking about the same study, I think you're talking about like that. Also, people have said that's the number one indicator for health and longevity is being involved in healthy relationships. And Absolutely. it's not about the right diet. It's not about, I mean, you look at the blue zones, right? The people who live the longest, yeah. the oct most octogenarians in the world yes. or whatever, most of them, yep. it's about relationships. They're sitting down and having meals with groups of people and they're enjoying and they're relaxing and they're just living their lives. We are constantly stressed out. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on what our, how our stress affects our brain to affect our relationships. That's a great one. So stress is the action of the body restricting or constricting. It literally constricts blood flow. And when we're stressed, we tend not to exercise. We tend not to move around. We tend not to take in oxygen. And so when you shut down the ability of your body to understand itself. The only way you can understand body is you've got to relax. So stress uh, starts generating this adrenaline the, in your um, the uh, uh, adrenals, your adrenal glands start secreting this high, uh, it, it, it naturally, when I'm stressed in, in the way that human body works is if I'm stressed, the adrenal glands start putting adrenaline into the body, cortisol, and what that does, it goes, the body goes into flight which means we don't, we, we have short bursts of memory, but so we're not thinking with longitude. We're not thinking with understanding it's up, you know, run away from the bison, get away from the car. Right. And if that goes on and on and on, what it does is restricts blood flow. So if my left brain, which is trying to figure things out, can't tune in to the emotions that are coming up. And this happens in the middle of the brain in the reticular activating system. There's a in the middle where our left brain emotions come up. And our, and our left brain meets our right brain emotions. Our rational meets our irrational. And what happens is if our left brain isn't willing to relax and allow these emotions to come up, that is really the continuation of stress. Stress is the inability to understand what am I feeling right now? And if I'm not willing to look at it, I stay in a high stress mode. And if I'm in a high stress mode, Aaron, how are you and I going to really understand what each other is saying? How are we going to really, how can I learn the, how can I understand the, ex, the experience and what you're trying to share with me? If I'm in a lockdown, no oxygen, high adrenaline, it, it just doesn't work. 
And a lot of humans are in that, you know, 12 of their 15 waking hours a day, coffee, um, you know, not enough oxygen. And so they shut down. And literally what happens, the body, you notice people that are stressed, their bodies are hunched over. They're like, all I try to do whenever I work with any client, the first thing we do is we stop, we close our eyes. Guess what happens when you close your eyes? Within, I think it's 15 seconds. If I close my eyes right now, our pineal gland starts secreting melatonin and serotonin instantly. It's mother nature's, oh, closing your eyes, serotonin, melatonin. God forbid I breathe for two minutes consciously with my eyes closed and I stretch my solar plexus, which lights up all the neurons in the, in the entire body. And it goes, oh, it's time for relaxation. And the brain leaves beta, high octane, high moving beta cycles, and it goes into alpha. And when we get to alpha, that's the life, that's where life begins. And tr all we try to do as, as kind of helping people relax is get to alpha, relax. And alpha, so the trees, the ionosphere are all at seven to 10 cycles a second. The, the cells in the air and the trees right now are moving at seven to, seven to 10 cycles a second. That's called alpha. But when we're in high rational, high stress, we're at 15 to 20 cycles a second, these electrons in us. We can't, you can't do anything at that phase. You have to slow down and feel into it. So sorry, that was a long riff on, on um, what stress does. Stress can be immediately identified and immediately ameliorated if we're willing to do the work. Here's the problem. Here's what happens, right? I'm in a high, you're in a high stress space right now. Let's say if you were, or John Smith or whatever, you're high stress. And they're like, no, 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 no. Okay, let's relax. Guess what happens when they relax? Old memories come up, old sensations come up. So in a way, what happens is the very thing that's trying to come up, even if you're consciously doing it, like in the old days, I didn't want an old memory from fourth grade or, or, or ninth grade when I got dropped like a hot rock. Like I didn't want those memories to come up, but those are the sensations. And, 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 and literally those are the electrons that have memory are coming up. And that's the stress. Stress is keeping all this stuff down. The act of keeping the emotions and, and our rational self from meeting in the reticular activating system and meeting each other and, and identifying and communicating with each other, that act of pushing that away is stress. And ironically, Aaron, that place, that reticular activating system, you can check the research, that's our home of motivation. Motivation is when our, our, our limbic emotional memories come up, they meet in the reticular activating system and the left brain pushes them down. And that stress point means we're, we can't get motivated. Why can't I why can't I do that project? Why can't I do it? Because these two pieces, these two parts of ourselves have to meet. And when they slow down and meet, then our motivation can pick up. So then we can understand what we need to do. But without that, we're like, huh, 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 I can't get started. I love it. I've never heard of the reticular activating system before. I'm glad you brought that up because now I'm like, okay, something else to research. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's interesting that you mentioned when we slow down and try to relax, old memories will surface. And I think that's probably probably why a lot of us stay busy and we don't want to dig in and we, and even like exercise, right? Exercise is great for mental health, blah, blah, blah. We say, but you know what I had to do for a while? I had to stop exercising so hard because yeah. it was, it, it was suppressing things I actually needed to work on. I mean, it's so funny you say that you nailed it. Um, we spent, I used to call it INGing. We're running, we're working, we're, you know, having sexing, masturbating, whatever, all these ING things we do to do what? To avoid self, avoid. Yep. to avoid the 10 year old bill inside that's looking to connect with an adult and all my work, it sounds really new age and really corny, but John Bradshaw um, broke ground back in 1990 when he wrote the book, Homecoming, it changed everything for me. It's that inner child work. If I can get the 56 year old me, when we're done here, you know, just tuning in. If I can just relax and go, go tune in to me and ten, my, that 10 year old me, what are my needs today? The 10 year old sensations are our pure emotional self. And the 56 year old is a very rational self. I have to merge those two in order for me to fulfill my day, fulfill my purpose in life. I have to bring those two pieces together. So if I'm running or drinking or avoiding or working, I'm a workaholic. And a lot of that used to be avoiding the emotions at home, avoiding bill, all this avoiding. We can still work hard, but we got to do it with meaning. We have to understand. For me, I believe we have to go back to that fourth grader inside and tune into him and go, how you doing? 
what are you up to and what do you feel? Because what we felt in fourth grade is what we're feeling right now. We're just not conscious of it. That's my take on the world. Okay. You are like, I am having a psychological breakthrough right now with you saying that. And I'm excited about this uh, because my fourth grade year was the year that I watched my grandpa die in our front yard. And that has been something that has haunted me that I know that I've stored. I shut it down. It popped up in the form of all of my mental health issues later on. And, and, I, and I publicly share it. This is part of my story, but the, it happened the month before I turned 10 years old. And wow. so, and it's actually the anniversary is coming up in a month and it's funny because wow. I always can feel it. I can always sense it. Or even when I don't know what day it is, I'm like, why am I so emotional? You know, of course we want to, we don't want to ask that way. Cause that's very judgy on ourselves. Um, but so like, huh, that's interesting. I'm being very emotional. What's, oh, it's April 16th. This is a hard day for me. You know? So tell us, I want to hear a little bit more about that. What's going on at nine or 10, because I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense for me. It's powerful. It's so, that's amazing. I just got like, three sheets of uh, goosebumps when you're talking, because <laughs> whenever that, whenever we tune into that fourth grade, so all the research from the age of zero to it's about 11, 10 or 11, we are pure limbic, which means we're pure emotion, which means, and, and, and ironically, as young kids, our, our skin is slightly thinner than it will be when we're adults. Um, the heart, we absorb the heart's an antenna. So if you put a, a fourth, a 10th grader, um, a six-year-old or seven-year-old next to an adult and you put them there long enough, the adult heart and the child heart start to mesh. In other words, we're absorbing all this stuff, right? So you saw something really traumatic, really overwhelming. And as kids, because we're pure limbic, we don't have a governing, rationalizing sense to kind of make, make sense of it, right? We can try talk to an adult, but most of the adults in our lives at that age, you know, they're not... They're great people. They're wonderful. We love them. But if they weren't able to help us regulate and understand what's going on, that emotional imprint of sadness and shock and whatever it was, it now is locked into your heart. It's locked into your limbic brain. Again, not good, not bad. It just is what it is. That's the way life is. It is. Now what happens is it's in there and now we're in our thirties and, you know, we're living in our adult life and we're getting these pangs of sadness. We're getting these pangs of longing and, and confusion and what is death and where is he now and so that started in fourth grade the fourth graders physically he's gone emotionally he is wide awake he is in us and those emotions I use fourth grade because it's, it is kind of a powerful it's a very powerful time it was for me and I talked to a lot of people and that's why we use it in the book is those emotions are living inside of us they're stored in loops in our limbic brain in our belly and so they come up. And so if we don't release them, now what happens is you, the late 30-year-old who understands the world and can process and can express, if you allow that fourth grader to come up and you guys sit, we do this all the time, we relax, I would take you back to your fourth grade class and you, the late 30-year-old and the fourth grader would start talking. And I guarantee it, tears would start coming mm -hmm. from your eyes because your fourth grader is excited to have an adult to share this with. Mm -hmm. And the adult you is excited to embrace and hug. In every one of my sessions with folks, I'm getting them to hug the fourth grader and the emotions that come up and you're just merging the left brain and right brain. It's just, it's just a, it's a visualization of the, of the two sides of ourselves coming together. And when we can do it very in a, in a very kind of obvious way, oh, there's the fourth grader. What is he wearing? Okay, does he want you to hug him? Yeah, go hug him. And you're like, oh, oh my God. And guess what? There's only one human being that that fourth grader knows better on the entire planet. And there's your fourth grader knows your 39 year old and your 39 year old knows your fourth <laughs> grader. You two guys are one. And so there's this act of just merging the two. And it really makes us feel slightly more whole. You come out of those sessions. I've done it so many times myself. You come out of those sessions. Some of you feel like, Hey, I feel kind of whole. I, maybe I don't need that thing to make me feel whole. Maybe I don't need my wife to pat me on the back because I've got my fourth grader. And then I would bring my 10th grader in. And I'm, even today, I still doing this work. I'm now working on my 20 year old self who was very busy, very busy, didn't want to tune in, but there's a part of him that understand that there was much more to life in the non-physical world. And I'm bringing him in. And so I don't have, can't tell you how many times I've done in my own, my own inner work where I'm on a beach and I've got my 14 year old and my eight year old, and we're playing soccer and I feel, and the tears are flowing in the 56 year old self. And I just feel whole. 
And that's what I believe life is bringing these pieces together on the inside. And then we go out into the outer world. We support other people because we know those are broken up souls as well. So if I can hold space for somebody and get their fourth grader to come in, I feel like I'm kind of completing my, my duty, if you will, my, my, my karmic, my karmic realization of if I can find wholeness in me, my job then is to help my kids, help my wife, help my friends. I can only offer it. You got to be willing to do the work. And the stress is the barrier because people are like, Bill, I'm too stressed. I can't go back to my fourth grader. Like that's way too stressful. I'm like, yeah, I know it is. <laughs> I can't help you. I mean, yeah, I can, but you got to do it yourself. Well, and like you said, we're so, we keep ourselves busy, so we don't have to, but that, that yeah. stillness is so important and just, it's, it's dangerous and it's scary, um, but it's very important. And I'm glad that you, and, and I think, you know, you even think about adverse, the ACE study, adverse childhood, is it events or experiences, whatever that is, um, yeah. that determines our health issues later on it, a lot of that has to do with what happened to us when we were young children. And if you look at it from a brain health perspective like that and the limbic brain and being yeah. pure emotions and we're just sponges observing everything, well, no wonder because anything exactly. that we don't understand and we go through and it's hard to for our brains to wrap around, it's going to get stored in our body and it's exactly. going to come up later on in, in physical issues. Yeah. And you nailed it. And I think that's been the biggest, a lot of people are heavy left brainers and that's powerful and, they, and they're very good at concretizing the world and doing, doing their thing in the material world. But they forget that the human experience and the universal experience is emotion-based. There's a lot of great quotes from um, Robert Monroe. He says, there hasn't been a human, there hasn't been an act in human history that weren't, wasn't based on an emotion. So even though we're, we're highly left brain charged, we're being driven by these unconscious desires I think, it, I think it was Dr. Robert Lipton who said, 95% of our lives are lived unconsciously, which means the fourth graders' desires, sadness, longings are actually imposing their will, but we're not aware of it, right? Bill's sadness, you know, you know my longing, my joy, whatever it is, it's, it's, it's in me, it's driving me, so why don't I pay attention to it? And I think that's the, that's the hard part is to get to that fourth grader was a bumpy road. It involved a lot of tears that I didn't really want to know I had in me and didn't know they were there. But once I started getting into them, every time I'll tell you this and talk about stress reduction, do the research on this, tears and crying and catharting is one of the most powerful ways to de-stress. Now, try to convince that to a 43-year-old male, right. you know, and, you know, he's like, I don't have time to cry. I don't want to look like a jerk. I don't want to look like a, a little boy. I'm like... I get it, but close the door, dim the lights and go tune in and you're going to cry. Every person I've ever said for the last 20 years, so I've been sitting for 25 and a half years, every person that says, Bill, should I meditate? I'm like, listen, do it or don't do it. Let me tell you, do it. And if you do it and stay with it, I guarantee you one of these days you're going to call me and you go, wow, the whole damn broken. I just wept like a baby. I'm like, bingo. Now you're coming home. Now that's when life, I begin, I feel especially men, women are much more tuned in, much more, much more tapped into their emotions. When a man is able to open that up and, and weep a little bit, it softens it. And now he can begin his inner dialogue, his inner journey, and really be present. What is it? What does a wife want? What does any human being want? What does a, what does a woman want? What does a child want? A child, wife, they want their male, their dad, their husband to be emotionally available. I used to tell my buddies, they're like, oh, my wife doesn't want me going out. No, no, no. Your wife is fine if you go out, but you're not giving her any emotional time. You're not giving her any emotional presence. Give her 15 minutes of emotional presence. That'll buy you an hour's, an hour's worth of time at the bar. But yeah, being emotionally present, is, that's what it's all about. De-stressing, tuning into those old emotions, letting the heart, 40,000 brain neurons in the heart. Our heart's incredibly intelligent. It's storing all this information. Let the heart speak. How do you let the heart speak? In silence, period, right? In therapy. Therapy and sitting quietly is the mana from heaven. And you're right, it's bumpy. It's sad. It's, 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 ah, it's crazy. It's, yeah, it's I, I had a great counseling session yesterday. My husband went to see his counselor today. We are big fans of counseling at my house, but a lot of people, there's still a stigma to counseling. Big stigma. Right? Yeah, and like, so what, what do you say? Or, yeah. But what do you say to somebody who's in a marriage with somebody who doesn't, doesn't cry, they don't cry, um, they don't show emotion, they're not emotionally available for them or their kids, and they feel stuck, the wife wants more, like, 
obviously they're stuck in this. What's the reticular activating yeah, system? Yeah, 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 That's yeah, a big RAS, problem. Yeah, yeah. What do you do? Like, how, what do you say to somebody like that? So, I, you know, if if I and it happens, it's happened many times. I have a wonderful male, either in a couple session or by himself, and I'll say, you know, you love your kids, right? Yeah, I'm like, you love it. He's like, yeah, I love my kids. Um, I said, every minute you spend understanding yourself and really tuning into self, you will change your grandkids' grandkids' sense of self. They're like, Bill, what are you talking about? I said, biomagnetically, everything you feel, everything you're resisting, everything you're holding onto, everything you're not saying, every emotion that you're holding back, which you're teaching that vibrationally, silently to your kids. So now your kids are going to be 25 and 30, and they're going to be in that same space that you're in right now. Like, no, no, no. I'm like, this is how it works. From the first 10 years, the first 10 years of a human being's life, 80% of what they pick up is nonverbal. So I'll say, Mr. Smith, you might be saying stuff, but your kids are picking up how you feel about your wife, how you feel about yourself. So if you could tune into how you feel about yourself, you're going to shift that vibrational, literally the biomagnetic electron setup of your emotional self. And you're passing that down the line. This is much bigger than you, Mr. Smith, much bigger than you. So for a moment, take the 10 minutes and, and, and feel into, if I can make a shift in me, I'm going to make a shift in my kids. And that's a biological fact. This is not airy-fairy. It's not new agey. We've got all the research. Everything you do, Aaron, emotionally, vibrate, vibrationally, emotionally, psycho-emotionally, biomagnetically, impacts your kids, period, end of story, drop the mic. So if that's the case... Science says, Mr. Smith, do a little bit of work. And, and, you know, it's not like we can always convince them that way because it's a big, it's a big mountain to climb that mountain of self, that valley of self, right? It's, it's, it's messy. It's yucky. Self is yucky. <laughs> we're emotion, we're emotion based. It's, 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 it's not a, it's not a tea party, um, but it's really the only party, you know, it's the only party to be in, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little sure. biased. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm biased as well. But and I know for some people, they're hearing this and they're like, I don't know. And, and with that, I, even like, let's talk about you sent me some interesting things about anger and sadness, because mm. I yeah, let's let's just go into anger, sadness, how it shows up, especially for men and especially for people who have sons, because yeah. I'm even noticing there's a shift that happens. And I have two boys, one is seven one just turned four and something in that three and four year old time really shifts in my kids, especially boys. And they get angry. Um, and I know it's big emotions showing up as anger, big. but I, I'd like to know a little bit about your take on anger and sadness. So, and I learned a lot through, through working with my wife and, and trying to understand it in others. So I could understand it in myself when we're angry. So I used to say, if your wife's not angry at you, it means she doesn't care. Right, just from the highest level, anger means there's some kind of longing, some kind of strong, strong desire. And often in men, our anger is somewhere we don't feel whole, we don't feel complete. Now, I'll stay with, I'll go with it, I'll start with adults and then I can back my way into, into to the, to the child's anger, which is very, very similar, I think. But there's something where we don't feel good and somehow the outer world has make us, made us feel less, even less than we thought we felt about ourselves, right? We have a certain sense of self, right? So let's say my certain sense of self is 100, but you know, the basis is 100. And somehow the world today does something to me that makes me feel 90 or 80. So my, my natural kind of conscious or unconscious sense of self was, was X. Now it's less than X. It's, so there's a sadness for feeling less than, and that sadness becomes a restless anger and frustration. So anger is really just the, the full bouquet of frustration. And so with little boys, typically that anger is they can't do something. They can't express something. Somehow their brother, their friend, something in the outside world, they see a friend that's got a, that a piece of candy, they don't have it. And it makes them feel less than, and it's a very subtle less than, and they can't get that back up to feeling more, less, less than. They don't know how to get better. And so if I can't figure out a way to get better, what's my first reaction? I'm screwed. I'm, I'm effed. I'm so angry that I can't make myself uptick. And so sadness for feeling less than equals anger because it's just an uncomfortable, 
God, I just feel, I, I thought I felt, I thought my sense of self was here and then now it's here. And then, and, and, and for, I can see it so clearly in, in, in women too. It's very powerful. Like something will happen and I can tell my wife's just, she's feeling a little bit not herself. And suddenly she'll just burst out in anger. And it happens a lot when, with the kids, our three girls, the girls will say something to her and it makes her feel less than. And, and what happens is they feel less than inside. And then she's angry at the object of the thing that made her feel sad. She's angry at the objects, the people that made her feel less than, which is a sadness. Gosh, I thought I was here. And suddenly, bam. And you're like, whoa. And that happens in an instant. So you, every time I think somebody, every I believe every time somebody's angry, they're really sad. They're actually feeling trapped, incomplete, longing for wholeness all at the same time. And the only way to counter that is to blow back, is to push back. Really what I think a little kid's doing is pushing against the universe. Mommy, daddy represent the universe. They're pushing out because they just don't know how to feel slightly better. And all we can do as parents, I believe, is try to hold the space. You're never going to reason with a, you know, an, an angry seven-year-old. But what you can do is wait till the storm passes, just like I do with my wife, just like she does with me when I'm angry and she can see my crazy eyes. We let the storm pass and then we go, hey, you didn't get that piece of candy. Tell me, tell me how that felt. Oh, it felt fine. It felt good. Oh, okay. It just looked like maybe you were feeling, you know, and what I used to do is try to do is with my kids is go, listen, I remember when I felt X, Y, Z, and I try to just make it about me and my sadness or my frustration because kids are always testing like, are they trying to get me to feel that I was sad? Are they trying to tell me that I was sad? Do I even know what sadness is? And it's just trying to hold the space to let them express what, what it was they were feeling when that piece of candy wasn't there. So they didn't get the biggest piece and, and, or their friends went to, you know, went on a trip and they couldn't go. It, you know, it, it, it's hard. But what I'll say is it's much easier for a parent to understand kids' anger if they understand their own anger. Right. You can't. I believe that I can't parent holistically. I can't parent with consciousness and awareness unless I have a smidgen of it myself, because it's all BS. It's all air. It's want, want, want when I'm trying to lecture to my girls because they're like. But I know for me, I've done the journey. I'm in the journey. I'm still in the journey. I will cry tonight, like in my meditation. I will open up. I feel like. I can offer tidbits but people are only going to take those tidbits when they're ready. I like, you know, a couple of my kids are like that. Just I'm not now, not now, not now. And so it's, it, that's the hard part about parenting because we want to solve the problem. We don't want our kids to be angry. We don't want them to be angry in public. We don't want them to act out in public. And there they are acting out in public. And what it makes us feel like less than how, what do we get angry? So it's an anger parade, right? I can't tell you how many times my parents would come by. I love my parents. They're great. And they would do something and I'd get, my wife would get angry at them. I get angry at them for being angry at my, for, for causing my wife to be angry. Then I see my, my middle kid, like kick my youngest. It was like an anger uh, show. And all that was less than, I feel less than, I feel less than, I feel less than, right? And it's, it's basically a sadness party coming out in anger. Anyway, sorry. I, no, I, I am tracking with you. I think it's so good. And I think it just goes back to, we have to, I mean, I feel we're just going circular here. That emotional regulation is so key and understanding it even in our interactions with our spouse or, you know, whoever, like me and my, I blew up at my mom the other day too, like stuff happens, but I ended up apologizing to her and telling her, Hey, this was actually about something else that's going on for me. It wasn't about you. You were just the source <laughs> that I decided to dump on. <laughs> Most convenient target something. right there. Yes. Yeah. Easy target. Yeah. Moms are easy targets in general, which is a whole Amazing. other topic. Yeah. But um, I, I just think everything that you're saying, it goes back to that emotional regulation, understanding the other person is trying to regulate however they can. And sometimes in marriages, when or whatever, when somebody's blowing up, acting out and angry, it might not actually be about you. It might be just what you are triggering in them. Right. hundred and thousand percent. It's I think it's always that. And, and, and also for anybody listening and, you know, your listeners is anger again means we care. There's something we care about. We care about ourselves and our self-protection and wanting to feel whole. But if my wife's angry at me, 
that's a good thing because she's trying to get to something. She, she wants more from me, from me or less than she wants something to change and shift. And that's really powerful. And, and really the whole second law of thermodynamics is about heavy frictions is going to, we need things to break in order to grow vulnerability, right? So you're angry at your husband. I'm angry at my wife. We're in this vulnerable state. We're angry, punching and, and something's happening. When we come out of that, if we're conscious and aware, we're a little bit more tuned into each other, the relationship just doom, doom, deepened. Relationships only deepen after the waves of vulnerability and sadness along. They don't deepen from like, oh, oh everything being groovy. They don't. They don't move. They don't shift. We're evolving. We're constantly emoting. Things are constant. So stand in the fire. Stand in the fire yourself. But stand in the fire at the altar of your relationship. The altar of your relationship is where you keep coming back. Bring your insights. Get your ass kicked. Go back to your meditation, go back to your therapy, come back to the altar. So the, re- the third thing was relatus. Relatus is the, is the Latin word for relationship. Relatus means to carry back. So the word relationship, marriage, is a verb, which means to carry back, which means my wife gets mad at me 45 minutes ago. I tune in, holy cow, I was a little bit dismissive with her last night. I get that insight. I come back, I get the insight. I carry back to her, you know what, sweetheart? Yeah, I was just caught up in this whim and I got a lot of things on my mind and, you know, I'm not happy about certain things at work. You're right. And what happens is relatus, I carry back that information to the altar of the marriage between us. She either accepts it or doesn't accept it. She understands it. We relate, we see each other heart to heart and the relationship just deepened. Hmm. So it's messy work, but I have to own my crap. She has to be willing to at least hear it. She doesn't have to agree. Our spouses never actually have to agree with us. They just have to know that when I'm being vulnerable and opening and admitting my mistakes, which is hard for men to do, hard for a lot of people to do, but especially hard for men, if I'm willing to admit and own and place that on the altar, she can do what she wants with it. But I've done that bit. All I can do, Aaron, is my 50%. A marriage, every relationship is 50-50. So you and I are in a relationship. I'm doing my 50%. I'm working hard. You're doing your 50%. The marriage is going to work. It's going to work. It's going to get bumpy. But if I'm only doing 30% of my 50% and I can't do any bit of your 50%, I can drag you to counseling. I can drag you to the cushion to meditate. But if you don't, you know, if the other person's not willing to do it, I just go, okay, I'm just going to keep working on Bill. I can't change her. She might not accept my, my, my apology. And I, I'm okay with that. And, but it'll evolve. And it's just really being willing to stay on my side of the fence share my vulnerability, open, cry, cathart, understand Bill, share it and hope it works. And people are like, oh, well, I don't want to base my relationship on hope. Well, you can't change another person. You know, I can't change you. You can't change me. You can lead me to a place of understanding, but I got to do the work. Yeah. So we each have to do our own work. And we use the um, analogy of hula hoops. We're each in a hula hoop. I can't jump into his hula hoop because that's going to throw it all off. We can go in the same direction in our own hula hoops, but I got to work from my hula hoop. He has to work from his hula hoop. So I, and I'm, I'm typically, it's funny. And at at the beginning of our relationship, he was the one that was more codependent jumping into my hula hoop these days. And I think it's just having kids and, you know, I'm the one jumping into everybody's hula hoop. So I've got, I've got to work on my own codependency and all that. So I just love, we are running out of time. We could go on and on. Love what you're sharing. Um, I do want to ask my favorite question. And that is, you know, the show's called sparking wholeness. So if Mm. you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? You know, I wish I could think of another one, but this just, it just pops in my head is if you could, if spend 10 minutes today, tonight by yourself alone with your back straight, sitting in a chair, sitting on a cushion, just close your eyes with your back straight and focus all of your attention on your heart. In fact, I get people to take their right hand and put it on your heart and do that for 10 minutes, set the alarm and do it for 10 minutes minutes and if you do it for 11 great if you do for eight that's fine as well but then do it tomorrow but the spark wholeness is listen to your heart listen to your heart and see what it's feeling greatest one of the greatest minds ever said this in 1642 blaze pascal he's got a theorem a triangle and something else named after one of the most brilliant human beings ever on the face of the planet he said all all humanity's problems 
is his, is his or hers inability to sit quietly in a room by himself. Blaise Pascal, the smartest scientist, one of the smartest scientists ever said, it's the hardest thing and it's our biggest problem is not sitting quietly in a room by ourselves. To spark wholeness, my thing is, my take is, sit quietly in a room tonight for 10 minutes, listen to your heart, and when you're done, that's it. Just listen to your heart. That's it. I love that. And I, I love that it goes back to, there are 40,000, I wrote that down, 40,000 brain neurons in the heart. You know, I talk a lot about the gut brain connection, but dang, the heart brain connection. That's Huge. a whole, that's next level. So your brain sends more signals. Your heart sends more signals to your brain. It sends 5,000 times more biomagnetic energy. And I think it's 25,000 times more bioelectric energy. The they say Alzheimer's. Hmm. Part of what they're learning is that because the heart is not getting itself to express, it's doing this biomagnetically and it's fraying mm. the brain. It's literally frying it. Wow. And so how do you combat that? Open up the heart. When you open up the heart, you are going to cry. You're going to remember stuff from fourth grade. You're going to remember stuff from 10th grade that guess what? You didn't want to remember, but your heart does wants to. Your heart wants to tell you what it's doing. That to me is the home run ball. I love that. Okay. Where can people find out more about you? Get your book, all of that. Good yeah. Stuff. Thank you. Um, wholecounseling.com is my website, like whole foods, but whole counseling. Um, the books on Amazon, waking up marriage, uh, finding truth in your partnership. It's it optically it's about marriage, but it's not really about marriage. It's about everything we talked about today, going inside and realizing that your boss, your neighbor, the person that just cut you off, they're just kicking up your own stuff. Life is just your own stuff. And that's why I say waking up marriage. It's really about waking up bill, waking up ourselves. But um, yeah, this is awesome, Aaron. Thank you so much. This is great. I, yeah. I thanks for coming really on. I'm, don't, don't be surprised when I email you again, like, Hey, <laughs> want to hop on the podcast again? Cause it was, I think there's just so much, you offer so much knowledge that, in a different way. And I really appreciate Thank that. You. I appreciate that a lot. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.